Welcome to the RSA Events Podcast, the home of world-changing ideas and debate. Hi everyone, evening. Fantastic to see you all here in the great room. Uh, I'm Andy Haldane, I'm the Chief Executive here at the RSA. Um, the dilemma I faced was, do I wear a tie this evening or not, actually? Um, it is the RDI though, so I've stuck a tie on. Uh, so the dilemma became, do I wear a blue tie with pink stripes and look like someone who used to work in a central bank, which I did, <laughs> or a pink tie with blue spots and look like someone who's trying a bit too hard <laughs> to be a creative with a creative audience. I've gone with the second one, with apologies. Um, fantastic to see you all for this very, very special uh, event in the RSA calendar. Both those in the room uh, and also uh, we're live streaming this event, so there's uh, many, many watching online as well. You're extraordinarily welcome too. Please join our conversation on Twitter as we go along. The hashtag is hashtag RSARDI. Let me just uh, acknowledge up front, uh, as you may have seen on the way in, some of our colleagues at the RSA, including some of those that helped make tonight possible, uh, taking industrial action. Uh, we at the RSA, as we have throughout, are of course committed to resolving that as quickly and as amicably as possible. Now, uh, come on in, the seat's down the front. Um, tonight is a celebration, a real celebration uh, of the transformative impact that design can have and the influential practitioners who are leaders in the field, that's many of you in the room here uh, this evening. Um, it's a particularly important time, I'd say, uh, to celebrate design and the ways in which it can help uh, improve, nurture, replenish uh, people and places and planet. Uh, and to be honest, the planet's never needed it more than just uh, at this moment. The RSA, as many of you will know, has a long and illustrious tradition uh, around the stewardship of excellence uh, in design. The titles of role designers for industry are awarded annually uh, across disciplines to those who've achieved sustained excellence in design and delivered, crucially for us at the RSA, significant benefits either societally uh, or for the planet. Uh, they were established way back in 1936. And the title RDI remains the highest accolade for designers in the UK. This year, we at the RSA are delighted uh, to recognize uh, four new uh, RDIs and three new honorary uh, RDIs. Uh, since my arrival at the RSA uh, 18 months ago, we've really tried hard uh, to build and strengthen the relationship with the RDI faculty, and we hugely look forward to collaborating on an ongoing basis with the RDA faculty in the future as part of our the RSA programme of interventions uh, alongside our community, a fantastic community of fellows, many of whom are themselves designers. In our joint mission, our collective mission of using design to transform uh, services, lives, organisations, systems in the service of wider society uh, and, of course, the planet. Now, it's been a, an exciting year at the RSA on the design front. Uh, we've taken a design-led approach to reimagine 
the RSA's impact program, which goes by the name of Design uh, for Life. And that's really all about putting life-centric design into the heart of everything we at the RSA do uh, to amplify social impact. Just last week in this room, uh, we awarded the RSA's uh, Bicentenary Medal for Design in Industry and Society uh, to the Schumacher College, which I'm sure is familiar to at least some of you in this room, and to its founder, uh, Satish uh, Kumar, for their uh, contributions to, to education uh, and to learning, uh, in particular around ecological uh, design. And that event also was used to mark and celebrate what is the 100th year anniversary of the RSA's Student Design Awards, uh, the world's longest running student design competition. We're fairly confident about that. Almost, let's just say it is the world's longest running student design uh, competition. And that leads me on uh, neatly uh, to announce that in addition to celebrating tonight's RDI achievements, we thought we wanted to acknowledge the next generation of designers committed to using their skills and creativity to drive social and to drive environmental uh, impact. We're delighted to have some of this year's talented winners from our Student Design Awards here with us uh, this evening. So now in its uh, 100th year, the RSA Student Design Awards is an open innovation challenge for university students and for recent graduates. Each year, the RSA works closely with a selection of partners from different sectors. This year, they included uh, Arup, the Skin Health Alliance, Google DeepMind, the Royal Botanic Gardens Q, the Marketing Trust, uh, NatraCare, and the RAIN Foundation. And last year, we posed uh, nine design briefs to students and pupils, challenging them as the next generation of change makers to address some of society's most complex problems and challenges uh, through life-centric design techniques. We work with colleges, universities, just, not just right across the UK, but right around the world now, uh, and trying to embed those RSA briefs uh, in the curricula of those study places. Many of the students over that 100-year period have gone on to use their skills to transform the world we live in. Indeed, a number have gone on to have the honour of becoming an RDI uh, themselves. So tonight, I thought I'd acknowledge and mention four recent winners from the recent uh, SDA round. And let me mention briefly and share with you uh, some of their uh, winning work. First up, uh, Jack Norris is a student from Sheffield Hallam University, won an SDA uh, this year for the All Being Well uh, brief. This brief in partnership with Frog asked how might we democratise health and well-being, creating the conditions and tools for individuals to help themselves, their loved ones and multiple uh, generations. So Jack's Submission went by the name of uh, Health in Hands is a free-to-use poster with embedded technology giving the public the power to monitor their heart health in public spaces. The judges loved uh, this uh, design, commended Jack's innovative proposal, 
with a practical project and also praised its powerful impact uh, it could have on society. Second, uh, Josie Field, a student at the Arts University Bournemouth, won an SDA for the brief Planet uh, Regeneration. Uh, this brief, uh, in partnership with the Healthy Ageing and Innovation in Rural Europe, Rother District Council and East Sussex Council asked, how might we create joyful place-based opportunities for people across generations to improve planetary health? And Josie's proposal, shown here, was called Toast to Roast, a digital application, an event series that aims to reduce loneliness and create meaningful friendships between neighbours of different generations through eating toast together. All the clues are there uh, in the title. Jo judges thought Josie's presentation was fun, was informative and insightful. It was the only project submitted that tackled head-on the crucial issue of ageism and provided positive identity to those of an older generation. Third, uh, Jordan Davis won a Student Design Award as part of a winning group alongside Reuben Perry, Aaron Clark, and Sebastian Hale. These four students from Loughborough University respond to the brief Tomorrow's Menu, and this brief in partnership with Q endorsed by Waitrose asked, how might we promote new relationships to food that are more secure, regenerative, and culturally appropriate? And their proposal, Mycopods, shown here on the screen, are devices inserted into the ground in farmland that utilize the symbiotic relationship between plants and fungi to aid UK farming. The judges thought that this presentation was incredibly professional and clear. The designers believe the device could be a realistic solution for farmers to use, looking for new technologies to make improvements uh, to their harvests. And overall, the judges believe this was an innovative proposal in systems design thinking. And fourth and finally, uh, Helen Watt, a student at Northumbria University, won a SDA for the brief Nature of Work. And this brief in partnership with Spotify uh, asked the question, how might we imagine the way we work in the future to reflect local context, experiences, and knowledge? And Helen's proposal, Neighbourhood Patch, is a design proposal connecting people working remotely in cities to access private gardens in their local neighbourhood. Judges thought the proposal demonstrated authentic social and environmental impact were especially moved by its design inclusivity. It was evident the proposal could work across global uh, dimensions as well as of many different uh, generations. Now, Josie, I know, is unwell, but we have, I think, and hope in the room, uh, at least Jack and Jordan, possibly Helen, let's see. So, if you wouldn't mind, uh, let's ask Jack and Jordan of Helen, if it's here, to stand up and please join me in congratulating them and all this year's SDA winners for their fantastic contribution. Well done to everyone. These talented young designers 
be showcasing their winning projects uh, downstairs in the Benjamin Franklin room after this event. I encourage you all to speak uh, to the students about the, the work they've done and what they gain by taking part in the SDAs. And as you go downstairs to the Benjamin Franklin room out of this door, you'll also be begin to explore a bit uh, of the 100 years of the SDAs through the exhibition we've laid on in uh, Southers Court just out of there. Now, as we mark what is now 100 years of the SDAs, we'll also be launching next summer our ambitions for the next 100 years of RSA awards. Our vision there is even bigger uh, and even bolder, namely to have the most ambitious and inclusive uh, global program of design awards, modeling what is possible by way of 21st century learning and enterprise. We'll keep you posted on that as they work through over the next few months. But let me take you now from the next 100 years to this evening. Uh, following the RDI, RDI presentations this evening, uh, product de developer and designer uh, Charlie Payton, RDI, will be inaugurated up on here, on the stage, as the new master of the Royal Designers. And then, according to tradition, Charlie will give this year's RDI address. Are you in for a treat? It's a fantastic uh, lecture. In a moment, I'll hand over to the outgoing master of the Royal Designers, Tom Lloyd, RDI, who will invite the new members of the faculty to receive their diplomas. Before I do that, though, I wanted to thank Tom uh, personally and from the RSA for his brilliant work with the faculty and with the RSA over the past uh, uh, two years. Uh, Tom's work as Master RDI has really rekindled the relationship uh, between the RSA and the RDI, and I'm hugely grateful to him for doing just that, working closely uh, with our Director of Design and Innovation, Joanna Jakir, also down here at the front. Uh, Tom's also, I think, worked with us with the faculty, uh, bringing out the value of that intergenerational dimension of the faculty and seeking to diversify across the faculty. I think I speak for everyone in the room, certainly everyone at the RSA and across the RDI faculty, in being hugely grateful to Tom uh, for his hard work, for his commitment to what is our shared mission to recognize design excellence and to use that design excellence as a way of improving lives. So personally and in the room, please join me in both thanking and welcome to the stage, Tom Lloyd. Thank you, Andy. I wasn't expecting that, so I'm very touched. Good evening, everyone. Uh, it's once again my pleasure to be here with you all to welcome new Royal Designers and Honorary Royal Designers into the faculty and to share this evening together in the celebration of design with us all. As is customary at the beginning, we would like to start by taking a moment to say goodbye to fellow Royal Designers who we have lost in the last 12 months. Please honour them, their amazing work and their contribution to design. When I took over as master two years ago, I talked a little about how the vocabulary of design is shifting to reflect new values and priorities in our changing world. Once again, the breadth of tonight's awardees 
demonstrates the range and capability of design to affect the world around us in positive and inspirational ways. This year in particular, there is a visceral quality to the work of our award winners, embracing our senses full of narrative and storytelling, stories of colour and material, stories through collage and humour, imaginary friends, the science of blooms, oysters and waves, and the sound of sleeping lions. That's diversity, if, if, if anything is. The title Royal Designer for Industry, or RDI, is awarded annually by the RSA to UK designers of all disciplines who have demonstrated sustained excellence and a significant benefit to society and the environment. Welcome, new RDIs. I will read out a brief citation and then invite you onto the stage to collect your award. Lucinda Chambers, RDI. Oh, no, no, Andy. Andy, I need to, I need to do the citation first. <laughs> For innovation in fashion. Lucinda Chambers, Chambers is a whirlwind of creativity, immense personal style and intelligence. She has an unquenchable curiosity and appreciation of all things human. In fashion, style, and design, she is a leader in imaginative and unusual applications of shape, form, color, and texture. She gleans techniques and inspiration for her work from all corners of art, design, and culture to share with others through imagery, clothing, and lifestyle projects. After 25 years as fashion director at British Vogue, Lucinda spearheaded design teams at Prada and Marni to refresh and invigorate their fashion brands worldwide. Her influence there was universally acknowledged in the fashion world. Now she heads and runs two design businesses, Collagerie and Colville. Collagerie is an innovative edited shopping platform curated by Lucinda and her business partner, Serena Hood. Its style, the selections and flexible prices links both individual designers and producers and retailers directly with customers and has been a huge success. Colville is a small and individually designed and developed fashion and homeware brand imagined by Lucinda and Molly Malloy. They call it the antithesis of fast fashion. Its emphasis lies on reconditioning clothes, repurposing fabrics, and on social projects with women's groups across the world. Their combined outputs develops special pieces of clothing with intention to instill longevity, purposeful individuality, and a desire for, to collaborate and celebrate artisans worldwide. Lucinda, many congratulations and welcome to the faculty. Lauren Child, RDI for Innovation in Illustration. Lauren Child is an author and illustrator celebrated for her imaginative and whimsical contributions to children's literature. Best known for creating beloved characters like Charlie and Lola, Child has captivated young readers with her distinctive blend of storytelling and visually engaging artwork. Child's career took off with the publication of her book, I Want a Pet, in 1999, but it was her creation of the sibling duo, Charlie and Lola, that catapulted her into international acclaim. The series, both in book and animated television form, showcases Child's unique ability to understand and communicate the perspective of children, 
capturing the charm and challenges of sibling relationships. Apart from her success with Charlie and Lola, Child has authored and illustrated numerous other popular books, including Clarice Bean and the Ruby Redford series, showcasing her versatility across genres and age groups. Her distinctive collage-style illustrations, coupled with inventive storytelling, have earned her critical acclaim and a dedicated fan base. In recognition of her outstanding contributions to children's literature, Lauren Child was appointed the UK's Children's Laureate from 2017 to 2019, where she championed the importance of creativity and the imagination in the lives of young readers. Child's impact on the literary landscape continues to resonate, making her a cherished figure in the world of children's books. Lauren, many congratulations and welcome to the faculty. Nigel Dunnett, RDI, for innovation in planting and landscape. Trained as a botanist and landscape ecologist, Nigel Dunnett is a plantsman, designer and educator. His work addresses the integration of ecology and horticulture to achieve low-input, high-impact landscapes that are dynamic, diverse and tuned to nature. He creates engaging public landscapes that are experiential, delightful and educational. His approach is central to the discussion of how to address the problems of climate change and a sustainable future for cities. For the last 30 years, Nigel has pioneered the ecological use of plants in urban environments and has become a leader in his field, increasing its outreach through his work on highly visible, public, publicly accessible landscapes. Since 2003, his innovative range of colourful native and non-native annual and perennial meadow mixes, marketed under the brand of Pictorial Meadows, have been used across the country to bring colour and biodiversity benefits to civic landscape. They aim to encourage a more natural and wild approach to civic horticulture on a medium and large scale, and prove the quality of life of urban dwellers. In 2012, they were used to great public acclaim at the Olympic Park. The Greater Green Scheme in Sheffield is one of the UK's largest retrofit SUDS project and at 1.6 kilometres, the largest inner city green street. The scheme utilises space liberated by the change from two dual carriageways to single carriageways in the city centre, which has been given over to extensive rain gardens, bioswales and widened pavements for pedestrians. Nigel, many congratulations and welcome to the faculty. Kate Hopkins, RDI, for innovation in sound design. Combining craft, precision and creativity, Kate Hopkins is one of the most talented natural history documentary sound designers working today. Following a period in the film industry in the 1980s, Kate joined the BBC Natural History team as a sound designer. Since then, she has worked on all of the influential David Attenborough films from Planet Earth in 2000, the most recent Planet Earth 3 series, just coming out this autumn. Her work has garnered major industry recognition and awards for the quality, craft and creativity of her design discipline. Devoting herself to this area of filmmaking, Kate has helped millions of us understand and appreciate the wonders of the world around us and the need to care for it, 
along with the many other issues that are damaging our planet. It should be noted that as a sound designer, cannot start work until an image sequence has been edited. These sequences are mute with just images. That is when Kate Hopkins sets about creating the sound world for these sequences, which involves layers of audio that articulate the picture to make it sound as realistic as possible, so the viewer feels as they are actually there. It is only then that the captured footage comes to life, and that is Kate's key creative contribution to these extraordinary programs. She has been awarded three BAFTAs and nominated 21 times. Kate, many congratulations and welcome to the faculty. Now to the honorary RDI citations. I will now read the citations for honorary royal designers for industry 2023. This title is awarded annually by the RSA to non-UK designers of all disciplines who have demonstrated sustained design excellence and a significant benefit to society and the environment. Hella Jungarius, honorary RDI, for innovation in product design. Hella Jongerius is a Dutch industrial designer whose work spans textiles, ceramics, and furniture, combined with a particular interest and expertise in color. Her design focuses on the combining of opposites, new technology and the handmade, industrial manufacturing and craftsmanship, and the traditional and the contemporary. Jongerius sees her work as a part of a never-ending process, and the same is essentially true of all Jongerius lab designs. They possess the power of the final stage, while also communicating that they are part of something greater, with both a past and an uncertain future. Hella had a solo show at the Design Museum entitled Breathing Colour, which explored and celebrated colour with design and the built environment. More recently, she has been focusing her intentions on the potential of weaving. Experiments have ranged from multi-axial looms to develop three-dimensional forms and larger installations where many people are invited to co-build the structures that blend material efficiency and playful optimism. Alongside her exceptional creative output, Hella has become a campaigning voice regarding both the dangers and opportunities for design to contribute to the world. In 2015, alongside academic Louise Schoenberg, maybe, Hella wrote a a manifesto with a plea for ideals in design and a call upon designers to take a lead in the much-needed change of mentality. The manifesto criticises the obsession with the new for the sake of the new and deplores how the discipline lacks an intimate interweaving of the values that once inspired designers, as well as the producers of their ideas, making the highest possible quality accessible to many people. Hella. Many congratulations, and welcome to the faculty. Thank you. Christoph Nyman, honorary RDI for innovation in illustration. Christoph Nyman is an illustrator, graphic designer, and author celebrated for his distinctive visual language. Having studied at the, Stutt the Stuttgart Academy of Fine Arts, Nyman later made New York City his creative base, where he solidified his reputation as a pioneering force in contemporary illustration. 
Nyman's style is characterized by its simplicity and clever use of visual metaphors, whether rendered through traditional mediums like ink and watercolor explored in the digital realm. His work, recognized for its wit and accessibility, graces the pages of the prestigious publications such as The New Yorker and The New York Times Magazine. A prolific author, Nyman has penned and illustrated several books with Abstract City standing out as a collection of visually rich essays from his time with The New York Times. His books often explore the intersection of art and daily life, showcasing his ability to find profundity in the mundane. In addition to his traditional illustrations, Nyman embraced digital platforms, contributing to the evolution of online visual storytelling. His Abstract Sunday blog on the, New York, on the New York Times website, featuring interactive and animated content, reflects his commitment to pushing artistic boundaries. With numerous awards and a global following, Nyman continues to leave an indelible mark on the world of visual communication, bridging the gap between art and everyday experience. Christoph, many congratulations and welcome to the faculty. Thank you. Kate Orff, Honorary RDI, for Innovation in Landscape Design. Kate Orff is founding principal and partner at the American landscape architecture consultancy, SCAPE. She is a climate activist, a powerful advocate for change in landscape design thinking, skilled in multidisciplinary design leadership and an inspiring teacher. Kate tackles environmental design challenges of enormous scale and complexity, ranging from the whole of the Mississippi catchment to the protection of the Louisiana coastline. Her published work addresses the big challenges of climate and biodiversity in our societies, often through removing or transforming traditionally built interventions and allowing nature to restore its balance. Kate's ecological vision contains a larger ecological ethic to help people protect biodiversity and adapt to climate change. By rallying communities to participate in her restorative nature-based projects, she shows us how landscape can help repair a fractured society whilst implementing climate-resilient infrastructure. Since winning an international design competition 10 years ago, Kate has been leading a multidisciplinary team of engineers, ecologists, and architects on the Living Breakwaters Project, planned to reduce the risk of storm surge on the coast of Staten Island, New York, post-Hurricane Sandy, and to revive its coastal ecology at the same time. This spring, they completed work on the first breakwaters, including reef ridges. Her big nature thinking approach, combined with her advocacy and communication skills, is influencing state and federal governments, agencies alike. Now, I believe Kate can't be here today, so um, I can't remember your name, Louise. Yeah, is, is, is collecting the award on her behalf. Thank you, Louise. Almost there. Each year, the faculty has the beautiful and often testing challenge of discussing, proposing, thinking, and electing new members, the highest accolade for designers in this country, and the one that shines a light on the power of design in all its form. This year is no ex exception. Congratulations again to all of you.
Now, today marks the end of my second and final year as master of the RDI faculty, and truthfully, I have mixed emotions. The faculty of Royal Designers sits in a precarious state at the heart of our design fraternity. Administering an award that is bestowed by your own peers is very special, but with a unique roster of talent representing design's extraordinary reach, we of course hope to be more than that. Personally, the opportunity to participate in our industry and its role in society beyond my professional lens has been very special. This year we have continued relationships with, amongst others, the Design Institute of the RCA, Makerversity at Somerset House, and the campaigning organization Design Can. Through the generous funding and support of the Royal Commission for the Exhibition of 1851, perhaps the most rewarding has been part of, to be a part of the rebirth of the much-loved RDI Summer School. In collaboration with Chris, Dinah, Charlie, and Will, the first summer session, as it was called, was held in late September at Dartington Hall. We currently have funding for 2024 and hope to secure further support to once again make this a regular feature of the RDI calendar. For all of us, the real power of the weekend was the chance to bring together emerging designers, scientists, activists and engineers to consider the perils of our age and ways to engage positively and optimistically in our collective response. Please take a moment to see this short film that's been put together that captures the spirit of that weekend. Moving on. 
Since its foundation in 1978, the faculty has had a close association with the Samisha Black Medal. The awards celebrate Samisha, who is also a past master of the faculty. Now administered by the Royal Commission for the Exhibition of 1851, the medal honours those who have given distinguished service to design education, the first and only international award to do so. I'd like to take a moment to celebrate this year's awardees, Professor Mary Redmond and Halle Moravej. Finally, some very brief thanks to Joanna and Andy for helping reshape our collaboration with the RSA, to Marina Willer, RDI, for this year's brilliant awards design, which we'll see a lot of later, to Malcolm for producing our presentation with customary ease, to Will for her assured uh, piloting and navigation of our association, to my partner Luke and everyone at Pearson Lloyd, who have graciously tolerated the hours that this role has absorbed in our working life, and to Polly, my coach and critic and best friend. My one regret is that I wasn't given more opportunities to wear <laughs> <laughs> this brooch around Dalston, and maybe it wouldn't last very long, which sadly I now have to hand over to the capable hands of Charlie Payton, RDI, who succeeds me tonight as Master of the Faculty. Charlie's practice is as close as it can be to fulfilling the potential of design in solving our planetary scale challenges. Over 20 years, Charlie has been developing a concept called seawater greenhouse, a unique greenhouse hybrid which uses seawater in hot, arid climates to cool and humidify greenhouses, leading to massive reductions in the need for fresh water in the production of food. The project is a perfect example of the meeting point between design thinking and engineering in support of people and planet. Charlie, we are delighted that you have agreed to take on the role of master and look forward to your leadership in the coming years. Thank you, Charlie. I'll be wearing that in gold. <laughs> this is the moment of truth. Tricky bit. <laughs> Not bad. Thank you very much. Thank you. I now have extra powers. And greetings to all. And a very special welcome to our new RDIs. Congratulations from me. Thank you. I too would like to thank Tom Lloyd for steering the ship with such great skill, sensitivity and good judgment over the past two years. And a big thank you also to Will for her wise counsel, diligent support and backup. Thank you, Tom and Will. I must first make a confession before anyone finds me out. When Patrick Bellew first suggested proposing me as a candidate RDI over a decade ago, I said, Patrick, you can't do that. I'm a rubbish designer. He said, well, so am I. But it doesn't seem to matter. <laughs> I'm learning that the term designer has a broad and ever-growing interpretation. There are many more definitions of design than there are people in this room, but I especially love Alan Fletcher's, the simplest. Design 
is a mental utensil. When I started my apprenticeship as a theatre electrician with London Festival Ballet, the National Theatre, and the musical Hair back in the late 60s, it was more often than not that the chief electrician was the lighting designer. There were no lighting design courses in those days, but I was super lucky to get into the theatre design course at Central School of Art and Design with the inspirational Ralph Coltai, RDI, at the helm, and be able to continue working as a theatre electrician at the same time, thus getting experience in both theatre and lighting design. One of the things that lighting designers get to obsess about is colour, the colour of light. What does it mean and what effect does it have? If you want to make something look spooky, you might use green light. Everyone looks weird. If you need to light a prima donna in an opera, she might insist that you use pink light. Most of them do. But what light does a leaf or a lettuce prefer for photosynthesis? Most plants are green for reasons we don't yet fully understand, but plants don't prefer green light, rather the opposite. Plants are green because they absorb red and blue light. They reflect green light, which is what we see. If you take the green out of white light, you get pink. Pink light is also the primary driver of photosynthesis. It was learning that plants and prima donnas had something in common that I had my eureka moment, which eventually led to the seawater greenhouse design. In the late 60s, those heady and hippie days of change, we had no need for qualifications or passing exams, but we were encouraged to challenge and question everything, critical thinking, while at the same time learning and practicing all the crafts that go into putting on a show. My gurus and mentors were people like Buckminster Fuller, who had pioneered applying laws of nature to the design of structures. Fritz Schumacher, who wrote the hugely influential book, Small is Beautiful. Victor Papanek, who wrote Design for the Real World. To this day, I'm still haunted by the first sentence on the first page of that book. There are professions more harmful than industrial design, but only a very few. I just thought I'd put that in to cheer everyone up. <laughs> he observed that in 1970, Los Angeles became the first place where the total acreage used for roads and parking exceeded the amount of space given over to habitation. I'm sure he would shudder to learn that we have now replicated such human dominance across the planet. The Weizmann Institute recently published their findings in Nature that global human-made mass now ex exceeds all living biomass. Does this matter? And should designers accept the blame? I rather think it does, and that we should. As Fritz Schumacher pointed out, anyone who thinks consumption can expand forever on a finite planet is either insane or an economist. Sorry, Andy. <laughs> but Schumacher was also an economist. He observed that the systems of nature of which we are a part tend to be self-balancing, self-adjusting, and self-cleaning. Not so with man-made technology. This explosion happened largely on our watch, 
but I still believe that design and creative thinking with our mental utensils will help us correct this. Steve Jobs said that creativity was about connecting the dots, but there are an awful lot of dots to connect. I'll just describe a few of the main ones. Conflict, climate change, biodiversity loss, desertification, famine, malnutrition, migration, and sea level rise. We can go a long way to solving all of these problems simply by adding water, and in so doing, repairing the water cycle. If all the land area degraded by human activity were one country, it would cover 40% of the Earth's land mass and be bigger than Russia. Just adding water enables plants to grow, providing food and forests which in turn cool the planet, and yes, actually make a dent in reducing sea level. This may all sound hopelessly naive, but NASA did a study where they simulated the effects of planting trees in the Sahara and Australian deserts. The paper is actually called Irrigated Afforestation of the Sahara and Australian Outback to End Global Warming. And look, hey presto, planting and irrigated forests would cause surface air temperatures to drop by four to eight degrees centigrade while resetting the carbon balance to zero. Yes, the costs of doing this are colossal, but maybe the costs are negative when offset by the benefits. Around the time of this study, a Munich-based industrial group, companies such as Siemens, Bosch, Schott Glass, proposed the idea of harvesting solar energy from North Africa and sending it to Europe. It was called Desertec. Again, massively expensive, and it was considered at the time, especially by Angela Merkel and her economic advisors, that gas from Russia was a cheaper option, as indeed it was. In 2010, gas cost 13 euros a megawatt hour. 12 years later, in 2022, Russia invaded Ukraine and gas went up 18-fold to 240 euros a megawatt hour. Had Desertec gone ahead, would Putin have been able to afford to invade Ukraine? The Desertec concept still lives on, but the economics have shifted dramatically since it was first proposed. Solar energy is now the cheapest on the planet, provided you're in a sunny location. A UK company, Xlinx, have developed a, a scheme to transmit solar and wind powered from Morocco directly to the UK, and they don't need state funding to do it. The economics stack up. We're all used to the idea of the sun setting in the evening and rising in the morning, but actually it doesn't. It stays where it is as Galileo pointed out 400 years ago and got into a lot of trouble with the Catholic Church for such heretical thinking. As the sun is always shining somewhere, the Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi has proposed the One World, One Sun, One Grid, also known as the Green Grids Initiative. Our contribution to all of this suggests that solar power installations could and indeed should include seawater desalination and evaporative cooling to provide fresh water and cooler air to enable plant growth and to focus on the areas where it would be of greatest benefit to the local populations, especially those most threatened by desertification. This map illustrates such places. 
see how they provide a close overlap with the most productive regions for solar energy. Let me illustrate this with an example on the edge of the Australian outback. We built this in 2010, somewhat against the odds. The locals thought we were completely nuts. But it has since expanded a hundredfold. It now produces 17,000 tonnes of tomatoes a year, meeting 15% of Australia's demand. It turned out to be highly successful, but also hugely expensive. So we set about designing a simpler solution specifically to suit the huge expanses of degraded land, and we built a pilot in Somaliland, also somewhat against the odds. Somalia is perhaps the world's number one failed state, where desertification and climate change have made drought the norm, and famine has followed drought. The rainfall graph tells the story. Since 1906, rainfall has declined by 80%. Compare the illustration, top right, of Hargeisa in 1850 with now. This simple shade net solution is over 100 times cheaper than the Australian project, but it is still driven entirely by sunlight and seawater, making its own fresh water and growing tomatoes, lettuce and cucumber, as well as making salt. I'd like to show you a one-minute animation that explains the process and how we envisage it may be scaled up. We take seawater and pump it to our greenhouses. Some is turned into fresh water through solar-powered desalination to irrigate the plants, but most of it runs over evaporator panels. Warm, dry winds blow through the evaporators, making the air cooler and more humid. Cool, humid air substantially reduces the water needed by growing plants. Fresh produce can now be grown for the local market, and salt can be made from the concentrated brine. The cool, humid air doesn't just affect the greenhouse, but the downwind environment, creating oasis conditions. This simple and cost-effective approach helps restore the water cycle. What goes up must come down. Regreening degraded and desertified land over time and at scale. Growing forests capture carbon while growing food and empowering the local community. Just add water. A climate recipe. See? Too easy. <laughs> but don't you have to be by the sea for this to work? <clears throat> Let me show you a few other examples. A group of Silicon Valley entrepreneurs have set up a movement called Engineering to Eden. The idea is to restore the Salton Sea, which is now a toxic, dried-up salt lake, with water from the Pacific. They propose to drill tunnel through the Pacific coast ranges for an unlimited supply of seawater to the Salton Sea, which is 70 metres below sea level, so no pumping power is required. A similar scheme for Egypt has often been proposed, and most recently by the architects SOM. Egypt has one of the lowest levels of rainfall in the world, just 10 millimetres a year. It relies entirely on the Nile, which doesn't provide enough, and the flow goes through 11 countries in Africa, causing endless conflicts on how to share it equitably. It is often cited as the potential trigger for water wars. The Katara Depression is 130 metres below sea level and 50 kilometres from the Mediterranean Sea. A tunnel could provide both hydroelectricity and refill the depression, which would then become a lake of 19,000 square kilometres 
and kick-start the cooling and reforestation of the Sahara. Egypt also has borders with Israel and Gaza, where water wars have been going on for decades. Although they're not referred to as water wars, a root cause of the conflicts in the region is the inequitable ownership and control of water. This satellite image illustrates Gaza, the most densely populated region on the planet, next to an area of intensively irrigated farmland. It explains why the groundwater in Gaza is no longer freshwater, but seawater. For over 50 years, a peace canal, also known as the Red Sea Dead Sea Conveyor, has been proposed and discussed, and the World Bank and many others have developed detailed feasibility studies. Saving the Dead Sea from collapse must be a desirable outcome in itself, and the drop of 400 meters gives the potential for substantial and continuous production of hydropower. But having an inexhaustible supply of seawater and converting much of it into fresh water must surely go a long way to improving the lives of all the people living in that region, as well as restoring the vegetation that collapsed through desertification some five centuries ago. Apparently, as a consequence of King Solomon's mines and their voracious appetite for charcoal for smelting copper. All of the schemes proposed so far have assumed that the Peace Canal would be an Israeli-Jordanian collaboration. But as far as I'm aware, no one has asked the Palestinians or Egyptians for their input. A canal and tunnel from the Gaza-Egyptian border is only half the distance of the Red Sea-Dead Sea route. But whatever route is chosen, seawater could provide a new and inexhaustible supply of power and fresh water. And if it can be shared equitably, it must go a long way in diffusing conflict. Banksy, as usual, hits the mark. Just add water, a climate recipe. I leave you with a quote from one of my favorite books, The Secret Life of Trees by Colin Tudge. The prospects for humanity are somewhere between glorious and dire. It's hard to be more precise. <laughs> Listen, we are out of time, um, but let me just end by uh, thanking Charlie hugely. I tell you, it'd be a brilliant presentation, right? How interesting was that? Absolutely fascinating. Thank you, Charlie, um, and hugely look forward to working with you over the years ahead between the faculty and the RSA. Uh, to Tom, and also a huge thanks um, for your help over the last two years uh, and for your, as ever, inspirational thoughts this evening. Congratulations again to all the new uh, RDIs. Remain seated, because there's more photos for you lot. Um, uh, and finally, a huge thank you to you all and to everyone online as well, of course, uh, for coming along uh, this evening. For those in the room, uh, please join us downstairs in the Benjamin Franklin room now to enjoy a drink and indeed to view the Student Design Award showcase. Uh, you'll be exiting uh, stage uh, left uh, thank you, everyone, again. I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening and look forward to seeing you back here next year. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, head to our YouTube channel for inspiring talks, interviews and animations.